welcome back to the Searchers Podcast. I'm your host, Ben, and uh, I have a special episode for you this week. Uh, we don't have Chris or Kevin here with me. I have a guest, John Grace from the Midnight Movie Cowboys Podcast. Say hi, John. Hello. Thanks for joining. Super honored for you to be here. We would call you one of the big fish of the of our guests. So. That's hilarious. I guess just because I've been doing this stuff since uh, 2010, I think. Yeah. Whenever the hell X-Men First Class opened. Longer than some of our listeners probably have been alive. Now. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's weird these days. <laughs> uh, since John is here, that probably means we're either covering a, a Western or a Hong Kong movie uh, or an Italian movie or et cetera, et cetera. And it's kind of two of those. We are going to cover Flatfoot in Hong Kong from 1975, starring Bud Spencer. John, before we get into the movie... I kind of wanted to just to get since I got you here, I wanted to ask you, like, how did you get into how, who introduced you or what introduced you to Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill, the, the comedic duo? Oh, gosh. Um, I think I like a lot of uh, Gen X kids. I saw Super Fuzz multiple times on HBO in 1982 because they somebody at HBO must have really liked that movie because they ran it every other day. And it was it ran probably a hundred times that year. And then, um, and if you had Showtime, I'm sure it played on Showtime as well. And, um, and then a couple of years later, I watched, uh, my name is nobody. Um, on, uh, I think local television back when they used to show movies at, uh, on Saturday nights at 10 30 opposite Saturday night live as a sort of competition. And I didn't think SNL was very funny that night and, uh, tuned into a spaghetti Western, which I was just getting into those as a kid. And, um, and a few years later, I think I rented, um, one of the Trinity movies. I don't, re- I probably rented both of them and, and watched them in order. And, uh, that's when I got into the whole Bud Spencer, Terrence Hill thing. And then, uh, didn't really keep up with them until like maybe, uh, 1999 or the year 2000, I started getting into those films because I was able to get all these movies that had not been available to us for the longest time. And I actually made my first order from a foreign country uh, of DVDs, like from Denmark, because Denmark, they had those films on DVD and they were legit versions. And, you know, in America, it was public domain and bad looking videotapes. And uh, they had them in widescreen or letterbox format, which was unique at the time. And that was the only way to see them was to get these Danish dvds which had no english words anywhere on the covers but they did have the english audio track so um so then i I just started collect i tried to i would upgrade i ended up with german blu-rays of most of them and everything and i'd still find all these bud spencer movies i'd never heard of like the sheriff and the satellite kid which uh, apparently did get played on showtime back in the 80s is my understanding and um it's like um i just I noticed they probably had a big influence on the Hong Kong Kung Fu comedies of the seventies. And I later had that somewhat confirmed that all the Terrence Hill films were big hits in Hong Kong. And that's probably why Flatfoot in Hong Kong has a segment of it filmed there. It was probably a big, big deal to have Bud Spencer there because I think their movies did very, very well in uh, Asia itself. So um, very, very popular duo. And I've just become a fanatic, just watch the movies. Um, it's it's odd because I'll talk to Stu, my co-host at the Midnight Movie Cowboys, and they're kind of mainstream in Australia. 
like they're more they're not really a cult thing they're more like a more like a mainstream thing for those guys and so Stu's able to just go buy any of those films on dvd anywhere and it looks good it's a great copy and he watches them he's he's watched them multiple times and uh us americans we got to hunt because yeah, uh yeah, yeah, the American home video market hasn't really, still hasn't woken up to the potential, the sales potential of Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer. Why is that? I I have a theory that these guys were releasing these movies. They kind of came in at the tail end of the spaghetti Western craze and started turning the comedy up a lot. And then they transitioned into their own European type of uh, humor, which I don't think it, I think it was inspired by what came before it, but it's coming out in the seventies and over here in America, we're like, ah, oh, we want everything to be nihilistic and really yeah. cynical. So everyone just ignored that. And the distributors, I guess, didn't want it. I, I don't know how all that, that's my theory, but I don't know how it all actually worked out. Well, the Trinity movies did very well over here in drive-ins and flea pits. They did great business. And some of the other films did very well. Um, uh, I have a funny story about uh, one of them. Uh, oh, what is the movie? I, I need to make sure I get the title. So I got to go to IMDb real quick. But um, well, one the, of uh, oh, it's the one that remakes the Howard Hawks movie or rips it off a bit. Um, the hell huh. is that title? This is oh, a Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill movie. Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill movie. Um, because what they would do is um, like I've seen a trailer for. Oh, it's all the way boys. All the Way Boys was marketed to the Saturday matinee crowd in uh, small town America, flyover country, as uh, we sometimes call it. The only Angels Have Wings ripoff. Yes, the only one ever. And yeah. um, it's funny because um, what they did was they advertised it said, it's like a live action Popeye. And so that got King Feature Syndicate, sent them a cease and desist or lawsuit or took them to court. It said you cannot use Popeye or imply that you've got a, you've made a live action Popeye or you're showing this in the theater. It's you're going to confuse kids. And apparently there was another problem with parents complaining that they had taken their kids to see All the Way Boys and the kids were like trying to beat each other up on the playground imitating Bud, Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill. So it apparently did very well on that Saturday matinee market. So then they re-released it five or six months later without the Popeye ad campaign or Popeye inspired ad campaign. And uh, it, it still probably did. All right. But my understanding is like um, what uh, it's like, watch out. We're mad played American theaters in 1978. It was marketed like it was a Burt Reynolds movie. It was like those Trinity boys are at it again. <laughs> <laughs> no, no implication. They were Italian because it would have been funny to hear the announcer say, them Italian boys is at it, you know, <laughs> And, well, they don't have Italian names, right? They do the the whole like right, right. They get the perfect, films. you know, anglicized names for for their uh, for their movies. Yeah, and I've I've seen both those. And I, I love All the Way Boys is probably one of my favorite of uh, the the duo movies. But uh, to get into the actual film we're covering, Flatfoot in Hong Kong, also known as Flatfoot Goes East, which makes more sense. But um, yeah, because he's only in Hong Kong. That's like third of the movie maybe or like one reel of the film probably in the 35 millimeter prints yeah. <laughs> but uh it's the second of a series of four movies that uh bud spencer made by himself and uh, from my understanding the first flatfoot movie was a huge box office hit for the first time it was like one of the, the first crime 
movies with comedy in the t- Italy. Is that true? Probably one of the first of that era, that sort of Euro crime era of the, you know, the, the, uh, the post uh, Dirty Harry Death Wish crime movies. And so here comes Bud Spencer with a funny one, yep. which was probably a bit of a, it was probably a nice break. And, you know, they love Bud at the time. Although I've always heard like, Oh, the Bud Spencer movies never in the Terrence Hill solo films never did as well as they did when they were together. That's one of the things that I've often heard. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the ones when they're together, the comedy is just uh, the, the charisma and, and just like the going off of each other. The the opposite personalities are, is great. Yeah, they're they're perfectly matched on screen. And it's kind of like they're like a Laurel and Hardy that can kick ass, you know, and Terrence Hill can could be a womanizer, you know, and then. But Spencer is just like can knock a dozen guys out with his hammer fist, you know, that sort of thing. It's sort of yeah. like they have this nice it's like a live action cartoon type of thing that, that goes on. It's extremely rare. They uh, they really, really found a good mix when they they put those guys together in those cat and dog movies in the 60s. And then when somebody figured out, hey, they could be funny. That was like, where OK, that's where the light broke through the ceiling. you know. Yes. And. This movie that we're covering is is just Bud Spencer by himself. The first movie deals with a standard, you know, he's a cop in Naples trying to thwart a drug dealing organization. And he goes through a bunch of different contacts to figure out who, you know, who it is. And if there's, is, if there's a corrupt cop on the police force, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You, you've seen that so many times. Yeah. Um, but they go a little further in the, in the second one with, uh, Bud Spencer needing to track down the source of the of the I forget what kind of drugs uh, I think it was heroin it's uh, always heroin in yeah. these films. <laughs> heroin heroin was the big plague of the 70s according to these guys yeah and so they're they're tracking it down and the only way to do that is for him to go to Bangkok then Hong Kong hence the the title so right we, we get into that and it's it's a great it's a, I think it's a great highlight for, for 19, what was it? 75. Yeah. Um, just the actual cinematography in Hong Kong is probably the first non Hong Kong movie to do that. Maybe it's the same year, I think as, uh, as the the man from Hong Kong with Jimmy Wang, you that actually you guys introduced me to, and I now own, and my, we've actually talked about that on the, on another episode of ours with um, another guest, Nick Langdon. Uh, mm-hmm. But besides that, is there any other, I can't really think of maybe there's a James Bond spoof that that gets filmed in Hong Kong, but this well, is- um, it was I think this movie was made as a reaction to Man with a Golden Gun, because um, there's some scenes that seem inspired by it, like when he faces a sumo wrestler. I don't know what the hell a sumo wrestler is doing in Hong Kong, but uh, he's there, and yeah. uh, Roger Moore faced one in Man with a Golden Gun, where he also uh, went to uh, Thailand and Hong Kong, so um that's my guess uh that year 75 i believe cleopatra jones and the casino of gold which was a shaw brothers production uh was also made and uh so hong kong had become sort of that was the big hit place to film simply because of the success of enter the dragon and five fingers of death and sort of the kung fu movie explosion i think studios like golden harvest and um the far far bigger shaw brothers were very accommodating to international filmmakers. And I think Shaw Brothers seemed to have almost an open deal with the Italians. And I suspect parts of this movie were made at Shaw Brothers because everybody always thinks, oh, they just filmed all these historical Kung Fu films and Shaw Brothers. But 
Well, they also have interior sets that represent nightclubs, modern offices, uh, living rooms, apartments, and I think the uh, the whole theater scene and everything uh, in, in that Hong Kong segment of this film, I believe that was made at Shaw Brothers. I think they have a, a nightclub theater set that looks can look like a nightclub. It can look like a, uh, a big, vast theater. Uh, it can look like different things, depending on how they dress it. It's the magic of movies, and I think I think this was filmed at Shaw Brothers Studio. Yeah, I mean that would make sense. That was another question I had for you. There's a bunch of regular extras, at least at that time, which some of them went on to become, you know, had played bigger parts in Hong Kong movies. But in this movie, there's like Lee Hoi Song and uh, a couple other guys, and I didn't know if it was Golden Harvest or Shaw Brothers extra regulars. Uh, nobody. One thing I've realized, and I've only snapped into this this thought in the last couple of years, a lot of these guys worked at both studios. the The only exception would be like Samo Hung. Samo Hung was kind of kind of had an exclusive deal with Golden Harvest because they were letting. I think they were working into getting him behind the camera and to become a filmmaker, and uh, and they let him do more to give more freedom. Uh, but guys like Lee Hoi San, if you look at uh, his his history in Hong Kong cinema. He's doing an eternal film one week. He's doing a Shaw brothers the next week. He's in a golden harvest film the week after that fighting Ricky Hoy. Uh, he's, uh, he's just in everything. And um, he's one of those guys that there's so many credits. Uh, I know Mike leader was recently on a, a podcast and he told the story that he, he, uh, he met Lee Hoi San and he, and he said, you know, I really liked your performance and enter the fat dragon um where where you got you're in blackface and you wear the afro wig and he didn't know what he was talking about then he shows it to him on his computer and shows him that scene and he goes that's me i don't remember making this because he made so many movies back then i even estimated because i would spot the same uh stuntmen and everything um i i said maybe those guys were just getting on a bus and just riding 15 minutes over to golden the golden harvest lot so then they're just going to do stunts over golden harvest workout scenes and then the next day they ride the bus over to Shaw Brothers and if they had their scenes arranged there uh because I was told it was only at the time the uh the bus like the time of a bus trip from Shaw Brothers to Golden Harvest was like 15 20 minutes so it was very it's very possible they might have just been going back and forth because those um the studios did not sign exclusive contracts with stuntmen or bit players and um, like in this one, I noticed, I, I thought I spotted Yun Wah, not 100%, but I thought I saw his ears like in the background. It's possible. I, you can't really tell. I think on Wikipedia, someone has uncredited Jackie Chan. I, I went through and combed it to make sure he's not. I looked. The, I didn't bullshit. see it. Yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah, um, I, I looked. I, I can't see him. He might be in there. Doesn't mean he's not. Um, But he could be in there. He could have. He could have told someone he was in the movie and he's just one of the guys wearing the masks the whole time. Like, yeah, or he might have just come in for a day and, and uh, showed some of those and worked through a couple of sequences or something as a choreographer. He did choreograph the three Superman in the Orient film. He was the fight choreographer on that. Okay. And he apparently does not appear in the film, but he is the fight choreographer. So, which, which is interesting. It's like, so he was, he was getting a name for himself uh, for that work, that type of work before he was like a star. But unfortunately, I mean, as you are extremely aware, and um, hopefully now our listeners are, the the film historian, the the work that has been done for that time period is pretty piss poor. 
Yeah. Because nobody wants to go back and look at it. They don't want to go back and watch those movies. They don't want to do the work. That's that's I've what been, it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been doing it, but not not from that perspective. It's up to the podcasters. We got to save the history. <laughs> <laughs> they want to start with Drunken Master. They want to watch Bruce Lee. And then they want to watch Five Figures of Death. And they want to jump to Drunken Master and act like, oh, it, it really starts there. you know. But no, there's all these movies in between. It's like um, they don't want to go back and watch that stuff. It's, it's a real laziness with a lot of the so-called researchers. Oh yeah. Well, I'm going to be del- delving into at least the uh, the four shout factory uh, box sets that I just got. It says Uh-oh. that's like almost sixty movies of. Oh, it's all Shaw Brothers stuff, but from the '60s to the mid '70s, and I got the two Arrow box sets. So that, I got plenty of stuff to keep me busy for a while. But oh yeah, I've, I've got the first three. I'm not in a hurry to get the fourth one. You know, I'm waiting for that deep discount sale. Uh, and, mine's, uh... <laughs> mine's coming tomorrow because I was like, "Ah, eh, screw it! I'll spend the extra twenty bucks for the freaking." Uh, poster they're going to give me i don't care yeah 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 i don't have room for the poster i've got a ton of original shaw brothers posters and golden harvest in my house and i've not hung up a single one i have so many i don't know where to put them yeah and my wife will go crazy if i if i you know pin those up (laughs) yeah me too as you can see this room behind me is like the only thing that can look like this everything else has got to look how my wife wants them like all right that's fine exactly so it's like (laughs) i don't have that much wall space in the man cave i'm gonna have to I'm either going to have to quit reading books or, um, you know, give up like half my movies or something. I'm going to hang that stuff up. Yeah. Uh, to, to go back to a topic that you you briefly brought up, uh, and I had a question written down and prepared. Um, Eurocrime slash what people know as uh, Polizio Tesci, whatever, whatever you want to call it, European. I just uh, call it Italian movies. cop films or yeah. spaghetti crime <laughs> well it's not that's not technical man you know germans made a couple of what, yeah. Ra- ravioli crime yeah, yeah. Um, ravioli policiers <laughs> so so people whoever is writing these wikipedia articles they like to write down that any any movie made from italy in that time frame that had a cop in it was one of those yeah. movies this movie right here is you would agree is very much different than a you know movie with mercy or merrily or any any of yeah. those type of they're not even they're night and day right right well does it have like a it doesn't have like a gang rape scene and then a whacked out remy julian car chase the next minute and then a no. you know Maurizio Merley slapping a guy around with loud kung fu type sound effects you know and uh and, and throwing his badge away and going to start punching out punks and everything i mean that's why we watch them it's for they, those do, scenes. They, they do have the guy dressing up as a woman though scene yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they always like that stuff. But it's just they must think that's hilarious. It's like, hey, he dress up like a woman, he go on the cover. <laughs> it's not, that's not in vogue hey, anymore. But out with it. Bud can't wear a dress. So it'd be real funny. Yeah, it's like uh, that one line. Uh, I forget the actor's name, but he's like, hey, "I was supposed to be the woman. I can't help you fight." <laughs> it, was, it was a good. <laughs> that was a good joke. <laughs> uh, but speaking of that, in that same vein. Uh, all those movies, uh, the, the Eurocrime movies that are kind of getting releases now, uh, a lot of people will only, you know, the diehards, oh, I got to watch it subtitled. Oh, my gosh. I, I have to do it subtitled. Because they're watching or... it for the Marxism. Yeah. That's all <laughs> they want. They want they want to be able to make Tommy parables to all this stuff. But, but if you, it, it, I mean, watching this movie and, and my the one, the version I watched was in HD, you could, you could tell that, like, actors like... Um, Al Ledieri and that like he's actually talking in English and they dub his yeah. English and Bud Spencer and a lot of the extras are all talking in English. Maybe there's a couple 
that don't. But most of these movies, the dub is actually the way to go because it matches up. And right, right. People, people don't realize that for whatever reason. Yeah. Oh, because well, they they think that the sound was recorded on the set. Yeah, and which, these movies were shot in Italian, and they they have no idea how movies are made. They they have no clue. Yeah, and I think Italians did it that way, and a lot of other kind of. I, I know the Hong Kong, since we're t- we're speaking of Italians in Hong Kong, uh, th- that's the topic. The Hong Kong guys did that too. They did they didn't record the sound; they just did it later for, for the most part, right? That- yeah, because that way you probably only have to do two takes of dialogue. Yeah. One or two takes. If you get one take, it's fine. You'll fix it in dubbing. You yeah. know, it's going to be dubbed in a thousand languages anyway. So what does it matter? So you actually get the movies made a lot quicker and or you spend more time on action scenes or and for the budget. You're not, you're not spending budget on just days of people talking. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just not the same. You know, That's not what the audience even wanted for, for Hong Kong movies. Yeah. And I think that's why the Hong Kong movies. And I think that the Italian films are actually pretty good at this. They're very good at visual storytelling and for a movie compared to like an American film from the same era of the, let's say the same subject matter. Like if you watch something like, um, I don't know, like uh, what's a, what's the um, like freebie in the bean. It's uh, despite some pretty out, outstanding stunt sequences, it's not a very visual, like the story's not told visually. It's all in the dialogue. Uh, but if you watch a Marisa Murley movie or a Franco Nero film from that era, you could probably still enjoy it, even if, if it was in Italian and with no translation, because it's going to move and you're going to see a lot of stuff visually that that tells the story. Um, something I explained to my wife, because she doesn't quite understand why I love those the Hong Kong movies so much. I said, you know, for about 20 years, they made these perfect, the perfect action cinema where the action told the story. And they were the only country really doing this that really understood this. And uh, they don't get they don't get much credit for it because people kind of forgot. But uh, but they kind of they but these movies were they were not pretentious. They were played straight. They weren't campy. And they somehow made these just like the perfect action genre. It was like the perfect thing. And, you know, there's nothing like it since they've lost it. They've lost that ability. I don't any other country. I just haven't seen anything close to it. You know, it's like, it's always like, oh, the Thai cinema explosion. And that lasts about a year. And then, oh, Indonesian movies. Uh, it's been about three, three of those films. And that's it. You know, and they were making all, what hundreds of movies every year that were just like visually, they were like perfect. Kind of like what you see in the road warrior. The road warrior is a movie that the story is told visually. You don't even need dialogue to understand the story. And that's kind of how the Hong Kong movies were. And I think not really worrying about the dialogue helped, you know, because then they're thinking the director and the cinematographer are thinking, okay, how does this express the scene? How does this tell the story? You know, because at the end of the day, the dialogue doesn't even really matter because no, not really. Not not with these films. People don't remember that. They remember. No, 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 they don't remember anything. But they they might remember Eli Wallach saying, hey, if you're going to talk, talk, you're going to shoot, shoot, but don't talk, you know, if you're going (laughs) to shoot or whatever, you know, or probably. Probably the best dialogue scene in any Sergio Leone film is uh, in Duck You Sucker when Rod Steiger yells about the people and the people with the books and he's chewing out James Coburn about the futility of the of these Marxist protests and all that stuff or, you know, these these revolutions and and that's his best thing. And it's all dubbed. You know, it's Rod Steiger went and dubbed that after 
they shot it and everything. But that's his best. That's probably his best moment of dialogue. And nobody remembers it. Nobody remembers Sergio Leone's best dialogue. They just remember Eastwood killing three guys with two bullets or whatever the hell. Yeah. Going back to what you, you mentioned, uh, trying to explain to your wife why you like those movies. And I, I try to do the same thing and it's a, it's a fruitless endeavor, but I think the best way to describe it in the simplest terms is that uh, the Hong Kong movies, just like the samurai film, they are so similar to the Western of just having this lone character grow over the course of 90 minutes and two hours, whatever. And they go through a bunch yeah. of different trials and tribulations until they, they get their goal accomplished. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's kind of universal storytelling and it right. works and that they're all, they all have their own little specific elements, but they're very in this, they're very in a similar vein, at least to me. I don't know. For one thing, not to sound sexist or anything, but I think if you're a man, and you've had jobs where you worked really hard at those jobs, you kind of understand the story and the mentality of it. You pick up on things that I just don't think most women are not going to pick up on. You know, like a guy going through hell and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, when we're young and we're trying to earn money to buy records or whatever the hell, well, your case, I guess it might have been CDs. I don't know. But um, <laughs> but I, I actually, I had to mow lawns for the Led Zeppelin records, you know. And um, it, it's just like, Boy, you had that, you were so dumb that you decided, oh, I'm going to mow the lawn at noon when the sun is at its peak. And then, you know, you lose about I do, 10 I pounds. do that now. And, and, yeah, curse, yeah. and it's it's still like, Instead of doing the smart thing, it's just going over there at 8 a.m. and mowing the lawn, you know? It's just like, get it done before the sun comes out. But it's yeah. like, I think men kind of understand it. It's like, somebody had told me his theory as to why Hong Kong films had fallen off is because... Hong Kong became less of a blue collar manufacturing audience market in the early nineties. It was becoming service oriented office jobs, cubicle jobs, moving away from the, you know, the warehouses, the, you know, the, the warehouse workers, the manufacturing workers, those are the guys who appreciate a good fight scene or good physicality. And then I think, I think that's a universal problem in most oh, yeah, countries. Yeah. You Japan can, you being definitely you could definitely put it on America too. I would say Japan's a huge one. Like you can just see their yeah. their there's the industry for movies is just gone in that country compared to the way it was in the sixties. And that's you know, everybody over there works tech jobs or they don't work at all or they you know they're on OnlyFans or something weird like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the OnlyFans or reading manga or whatever the hell or watching yeah. anime or but in, and then you look at their production output in the 70s and Tohei was just cranking out Yakuza movies, karate movies and, you know, fake Western spy movies. It's, it's, it's insane. And it's like and they were marketed to men. And um, and now if Japan makes a movie, it's either for families or women. And it's very rare. Their their uh, cinema output is is dwindled to nothing. I mean, it's like everybody's talking about the new Godzilla movie and I've seen it. I, I really liked it and everything. But um, but that's it. It's like they they don't. There's not much to follow that up. It's like you can't say, oh, but they've also got this movie and they got that movie and they got this Yakuza movie. It's not like that at all. It's like no, it's just the Godzilla movie. That's yeah, the you, product. You get one every three three or four years. You can talk about. Yeah, the God Godzilla is cinema basically in Japan. <laughs> yeah, it's living up to its stereotype. <laughs> uh, so to get back to uh, Flatfoot, can you? explain at least for me for me maybe for me but uh for my listeners so like actors like robert weber al letty you know these these that's they're in these this movie sorry 
they're in this movie. And then there's plenty like Robert Mitchum, a guy, a lot of guys went over to Europe in the sixties and seventies, I guess after maybe the golden age of Hollywood was declining and going away and they were looking for work. Why are, why are all these American actors showing up in these Italian and other various European movies? Like what's the significance of that? Like in a lot of these movies, there's always like that one guy who's, who's American and, Right, that one guy who was a uh, third goon from the left in The Godfather, and he's in this film. Uh, that that's kind of how they did it. Um, it it's uh probably there's various reasons. One is guys like Robert Weber, and uh, I mean Robert Weber was pretty much down in the seventies to okay, he was the villain of the week on the Rockford Files, or he was, you know, he was on Beretta or something like that as the villain as the mobster. And here you got this Italian studio uh, wanting to get some American faces on the poster because it helps in exporting and selling to different markets because you could possibly fool, um, you know, the different foreign markets that, oh, this is like an American co-production or something when it's not. But they paid really well. They probably paid better than Hollywood's, you know, scale. They probably paid really, really well to have uh, those American faces so they could put them on the poster. So Robert Weber would get a, you know, they'd give him a role. Alitarium was probably happy to be in this film because uh, that guy, I mean, he was dead, I think, the year this came out. Uh, really? Died of a heart attack. Yeah, he was I He was on his that. way to being like the villain actor of the 70s uh, or the character actor of the 70s, however you want to put it, uh, because of uh, Mr. Majestic and the getaway. Like he has these real like scene stealing performances in these films. And uh, and he probably did this because they offered him a ton of money and he's 47 years old. He's like, well, I better take the money while I can. And hey, I don't actually play a bad guy in this. I play like kind of a, you know, maybe this will lead to more movies with Bud Spencer and I'll get this big paycheck for for doing a film overseas. And he was probably he looked like he was having fun in the Hong Kong segment. So I was like, they probably if Kung Fu films were the big thing in the theater, you know, all these actors say, hey, I want to do a Kung Fu scene and have these Chinese stuntmen doing flips when I punch them and everything. So um, that's pretty much how they, they got him over there, you know. Plus, uh, another thing, Eastwood put it this way. It was, you know, Fistful of Dollars was, if anything, it was an Italian, it was a vacation in Italy, in Spain. For <laughs> yeah, him that's a wife. good point, And too. a lot of these guys would look at it, it's a vacation. And I'm sure the Italian movie sets were way more laid back than Hollywood with the tables of cocaine and everything, you know. Yeah, well, I heard a, a lot of the actors in this in the 70s and it in the, the American actors got away with a lot bad behavior of just, you know, bossing oh, yeah. people around and, and, you know, they didn't really like that. Cause they, like you said, they were more laid back. Right. Uh, but yeah, Al, Al Lettieri, um, I, I kind of like that Bud Spencer punched him. And then I think a year or two before uh, John Wayne got him in McHugh as well, which is, I just think that's funny that he got punched by both those, these big names, these guys I like. For, for a short brief period, he like, he was the villain for every major action star in the world. Charles Bronson and, and uh, Mr. Majestic. And then, uh, yeah, and, and McHugh, he gets to get punched by John Wayne. It's yeah. like, wow, what an honor. I think I honestly think he's one of the highlights of uh, Flatfoot in Hong Kong. He is. He's terrific, even though he's dubbed by another actor. Yeah, um, that that that, that kind of threw me off. That kind of, I was like, ah, that's... that's yeah, right, so is Robert Weber. Like, a lot yeah. of those guys... Um, just to explain for people, like, why aren't they dubbing their own voice? Probably for the same reason Steve Reeves didn't dub his own voice in his uh, various uh, peplums, is they didn't pay you to stick around and dub, because that could take, like, two to three weeks. And, and often there was a gap between while they edited the film 
So they didn't want to pay to keep you in Italy and and have you dub the film. And they probably just, oh, we're, we're going to have somebody dub you. So, you know, but we paid you and we're not going to pay you for dubbing. So, and those guys go, okay, I'm off to the next production. You yeah. know, because those guys had, you know, Al, Al uh, Ledieri probably had a production in Hollywood waiting on him. Uh, or um, And Robert Weber you know, probably had to do a uh, Rockford Files episode, you know, or uh, <laughs> McMillan and Wife, God only knows. Um, so that they were like, nah, I, I, I can't wait around and waste my time. And so I'm going to go back to America and work again and work on something else. And so that's why you would always have these these actors would not have their voices. You know, the exceptions, of it's always like John Saxon always seemed to dub his own voice in everything. And I, I guess he was just that committed to it. I'm not sure. Maybe he just thought, hey, if I dub this, like, it'll get received better because people will know it's me. I, I, right, right. I right. would be that kind of, if I was an actor, I'd be like, yeah, I, I need to do my own voice. I, I, it's unacceptable to have it by somebody else. But <laughs> some people just don't get, I guess at that point in their career, they're all like, what, 10 years before retirement. They're like, ah, screw it. We're, you know, let's make more money. Yeah, yeah. And like Al, I didn't, I think he, that guy probably knew he wasn't going to be around a super long time. He wasn't going to have a super long run because he was 47 years old. And back then, you were old at 47. Yeah. You, know, you were, were going to be playing granddad. Uh, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like since how well the charisma came off on screen with him and Bud Spencer, I feel like Bud Spencer would have just taken them along like the next five or six movies. No, maybe not every movie, but two or three movies, maybe. Uh, I with- did get that vibe. I got the vibe. Maybe they were trying to do a, a buddy comedy thing and maybe flat, you know, flat foot in Africa or whatever would have had Al in it had he been alive. Because yeah. I think they were they were definitely thinking about because I th- I thought they they did have good on screen chemistry. I thought that was one of the highlights of the movie. Yeah, I think I think that one of the best sequences is when Bud Spencer's chasing after him for like five ten minutes in a row, and they're going from you know on foot through Hong Kong right. to on a on a boat. Which I think when that boat pulls away and and Bud Spencer's standing there, that's one that's the best scene in the movie. I think because they have a camera shot with the boat pulling away and the two guys are like still running. I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and what did, what did you think? What was your honest opinion on the fight in the pecking opera house or theater or whatever you want to call I it? I liked it. Cause I got to see um, there's this, uh, there's this Hong Kong actor. I had to identify him of course. Cause, cause I see him in everything, but is the I've guy only... with the cross eye. Yeah. Yeah. Chin Lai Song is these, um, that's it. That's his credit on IMDb, but he's mainly known under the name Addy Sung. Yep. A D D Y is uh, what one of my Hong Kong friends told me. That that's, that's what that's how they know him is Addy Sung. Yeah, Addy Sung Gam Loy. I looked him up as well, and he was in um he was in Infernal Affairs, which I thought was kind of bizarre. Uh, that you know he was in this Bud Spencer movie, and then forty years later he's in a you know one of the most well known two thousands Hong Kong movie. Yeah, um, he's kind of a stalwart. You can see him in the background of Enter the Dragon um you can uh he has a major role in um the uh billy chong film kung fu from beyond the grave that's where his his eyebrow is very distinctive there is a neat little cheap golden harvest action movie called hired guns that he stars in he's the hero and it is awesome it is the the hired guns hired guns that's just the title it came out on a fortune star DVD like 15 years ago. That's a company in Hong Kong that releases these, that was releasing these old Golden Harvest movies regularly. And I just bought it because it was cheap. I had never heard of it. And I said, Oh, a Golden Harvest movie from 
84 and the poster is just like a gun, you know, <laughs> and Chinese characters. Okay. And uh, and I watched and I went, oh my gosh, it stars this guy. And he's the hero. And it's mean and brutal and violent and oh, it's great, you know. So it's it's kind of like a little hidden gem in the uh, the Hong Kong filmography of this guy. But yeah, he's in everything. Yeah, I have to check that out. When I saw him, his face pop up once the mask came off. I'm like, that guy's familiar because that that twitchy like eye. You know, he's got that like not yeah. a lazy eye, but like his eyebrow. His like eye is like droopy or something on one side. I guess from getting hit or something. I, I don't know, but I, I think it's a. Uh... It's like a deformity or something, but yeah, or maybe he could just move his eyebrow like that. I'm not sure, but um, but yeah, he's he's got a distinctive face, which you need to have if you're going to stand out in Hong Kong cinema as a villain actor. And it managed oh, yeah. to get him uh, some good guy roles. So, hey, more more power to him. It's it's a cool veteran. Supposedly he's retired from film, and he's back to <laughs> he's back to performing in Peking Opera. Yep. So or he's, doing, he's still doing opera. So or he's I saw that he was still stuff. alive. I I, I always like to see like because so many of them passed away young in their sixties. These these guys, uh, but I yeah. like to see the ones that are still alive. I'm like that's that's nice. But uh, I don't know if he's. I guess he's still living in Hong Kong. But even though the you know the commies have gotten <laughs> control of it now, but I think a lot of those guys like um, I would have thought a bunch of them would have left in like the early 90s yeah no, i know like david chiang's in canada yoon bu yeah. is in can in canada or at least has the citizenship i don't know see i don't know how like what is the deal with these guys going back and forth i feel like the commies would be like nah that's not allowed we're you're, well you're they're not. given open permission to go to hong kong and make you know they can make stuff it's, it doesn't uh communist china doesn't doesn't really care it's really? like because it they don't really care about the actors going back and forth. I don't know how it explains Jackie Chan being a big commie suck up these days. Yeah. But um, but I know that Yen Bu, there's all this work and he's always working on Hong Kong TV and mainland Chinese TV. So he might do like what Terrence Hill does. Terrence Hill lives in Malibu, California. Uh, yep. most of the year, he'll fly back to Italy. He'll probably work for like a month filming. Uh, his scenes in Don Matteo, the TV show he does in in uh, Italy, and and then he flies b right back to California. <laughs> he does not stay in Europe. I'm actually in a. Uh, I follow him on Instagram, but I just saw like he posted like a WhatsApp group where I guess he just posts updates in this group for like there's like two thousand people in this group, which I thought was not enough. I was like, come on, you got to have more than that. That's kind of sad. But he he posted a picture the other day with uh, him and Mario Adorf very yeah. mario was looking pretty freaking old but uh terrence hill looks like i mean he's like 80 something but he looks like he's 65 he looks great right right he looks like he's just ready to collect social security yeah <laughs> very healthy man i think it i think he um while i don't think he's quite the character he plays on uh, movies i think he's probably does not smoke and i don't think he drinks i think he's kind of a health nut yeah you know that would make sense because he looks so young I mean, yeah, he he's still doing. Um, did you see his movie? My name is Thomas. Is that a new one or newish? Yeah, he. It's a, probably gonna be his last film. Yeah, uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to like stay away from the new stuff until I get more of the older stuff under my belt because well, I it's just... dedicated to Bud Spencer. Okay. And it's actually filmed. Uh, the finale is filmed in Elmeria, where they filmed some of their westerns. Some of their movies, yeah. There, yeah, and um, it's uh, he's doing. He does a fight scene. He does a comedy fight scene. He's like. 79 years old when he filmed it maybe 80 78 
He's yeah. way too old to be doing it, but he doesn't. Yeah. And it's like he never lost a step. I mean, he's a little slower, of course, but you know, it's it's very impressive. I, I was surprised by that. And it's always satisfying to see these guys, especially for someone like you. You've been a fan for years, but yeah. it's just nice to see like, hey, they aged gracefully. They didn't age like because they didn't age like shit because a lot of the guys back in the 40s and 50s, once the once the 70s came around, you know, John Wayne getting stomach cancer and uh, just a lot of them just all I mean, Steve McQueen dying at, at 50. They all just, you know. Oh, yeah. I remember like when Steve star. McQueen died. I remember with that being in the news. I remember seeing it reported on NBC when he died. Yeah. And, and he, it's just like or, um, you know, a, another example, uh, Charles Bronson. You know, he, he did not age well. It's like, even though he's, uh, although he, he held up pretty good in middle age. I mean, he made hard times when he's my age. And hard so like my favorite, my favorite Bronson movie. And I'm like, oh man, he makes me want to get to the gym. What the hell is he, my problem? He like you went, know? he like went up and then he just like went straight down at like one year. He just started looking like shit. And then he started, didn't he start pumping himself full? Like just all the lip fillers and cheek fillers and stuff. Cause I think Zaldivar believed he said he did Botox. He did all that crap. Yeah. Cause in the early of... days when nobody was doing it. So like when Barbie her Barbara Hershey did the Botox lips, she looked like a bead stunger. Yeah. And everybody's like, well, what the hell's wrong with her? So, cause I think it was in its infancy for use or something, but like, yeah, yeah, he looked weird. He had a weird kind of bloated frog face all of a sudden. Yeah. It's not a good look, but I guess he was, had a little bit of the vanity bug, but oh well. Hey, I gotta look young. You know, <laughs> it's like he never looked young. What the hell? No, it's like you look. You haven't looked young since like the freaking sixties, dude. Just calm down. But he didn't even look young in the fifties. <laughs> see him in House of Wax. He looks like he's a seventy-year-old. Like steroid uh, he, he had to have lived a hard life. Uh, he was in World War II, I believe. So I'm sure he smoked a shit ton for at least for twenty years. But oh yeah, he smoked cigarettes. I I think uh, there's a description in his training for hard times. I think he'd get up and have a cup of coffee and they'd smoke a cigarette. And then he'd go for a run. Then he'd work the bag. Then he'd climb a rope. Yeah. It's crazy that they do that. I, I know yeah, um, a big smoker and well, and drinker, but a big uh, smoker back in the golden age was uh, we were talking about before that we started recording William Holden. If you look at his age and look how old he was in the fifties, you'd be like, Holy shit. He's probably younger than you. And he looks like mm -hmm. he's 70. I mean, oh, I see that. I see that a lot when I watch these movies. I go, gee, how old is James Cagney in this? And I was like, oh my God, he's 28. You know? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> looks yeah, like me. Looks, looks like my, dad. no, it's like, oh, he looks like my dad or something, you know, whatever. But it, it, I think William Holden's on the record actually saying, like, yeah, I kind of want to look old and like, you know, whatever you want to call it, not chiseled, but uh, distinguished or something like that. And it's like, no, you look like shit, dude. You look, <laughs> you, look you, you look like an alcoholic. <laughs> You know, the funny thing about William Holden, he was one of the Hollywood talents that really pushed for samurai movies to be imported in America because he was a big fan of uh, the 50 samurai films. He's actually visited the set of uh, Samurai with Toshiro Mifune, the Masashi Miyamoto movie. Apparently, there's photos of him on the set visiting with Mifune and everything. Like, he just See, he thought Japanese cinema was the future. That just uh, well, it was for like twenty years, but that 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 just yeah. raised my estimation of the man because I'm not really a huge fan, but I like that. I, I you'd think uh, with uh, the Yakuza that Robert Mitchum would have been that guy, but I guess not. No, um, yeah, Mitchum. It's funny because uh, the original script of the Yakuza was supposedly more like a Yakuza movie, 
And I, I'm wondering what Mitchum agreed to do, but I, I think had it been more of an action-packed thing, I would have probably remembered. But 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 the funny thing is, okay, Mitchum did the Yakuza. Then a couple of years later, he did the Amsterdam kill for Golden Harvest and filmed that in Hong Kong. And then, of course, he bitched about making that because he didn't get along with Robert Klaus. So, um, he did. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody did. <laughs> Robert, uh, it's funny, Bob Wall was claiming that Robert Klaus and Hugh O'Brien got along great on <laughs> Game of Death. That's about it. Hugh O'Brien, what else was he in? That, that name rings a bell. He, um, he played, uh, was it, I think, it was the Wyatt Earp TV show. Okay. Yeah. And he I, was, uh, it's it, funny it, about it. him. He was picked to be, okay, uh, Abbott and Costello, I think their contract was up at Universal. So Universal had replacements ready for the next film that they written, was written as an Abbott and Costello vehicle called Fireman Save My Child. And the replacements were Hugh O'Brien for Bud Abbott. And Lou Costello was being replaced by Buddy Hackett. Hmm. So it's this weird oddity that exists in the Universal Library that's basically a fake Abbott and Costello movie with Hugh O'Brien and Buddy Hackett as the Abbott and Costello stand-ins. What year was that? Like 1958 or something like that, or 56. It's a 50s film. It was when um, I think uh, Abbott and Costello left to do like uh, Jack and the Beanstalk and... um, um, Lou Costello did some movies on his own, I think, or or something. They're they're hard to see these days because they don't make it on the streaming very often. The Bride of Candy Rock is that the title? Something like that. I, I just remember like reading that title and thinking how weird it was. It's like, hey, how come they're not meeting the creature from the Black Lagoon? What's going on here? <laughs> I think you mentioned Dirty Harry earlier. Uh, yeah, and one very, if you go and watch the first Flatfoot or any of the Flatfoot movies, uh, or I think it's called something else in Italy. Uh, Rizzo or his 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 character's name, the series. Whatever. Yeah, I think it's Rizzo. If you go and watch them, and at least the first two, uh, I haven't seen the other two, but if you watch them, you will notice that Bud Spencer does not, I don't think he ever holds a gun or uses a gun in either of them. And it's like the exact, op- like, like I said, it's the exact opposite in tone, but there's also just the violence is, is, I guess you'd say turned down a little bit. Uh, it's a lot yeah. of fist fights. Why is that just, I think, actually, no, I think I'm jogging my own memory, but isn't that because both Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill had some kind of aversion to violence and wanted to be seen as like these, you know, clean cut guys? Yeah, that's definitely a big part of it. Um, also, his movies were aimed at kids. Okay. So there's a lot of elements that you'll see in a Franco Nero movie or a Marisa Murley movie or Thomas Millian movie that you will never see in a Bud Spencer movie. And they know they had the kid audience. Like there's the kid character in this film. It's very obvious. They, they were pandering to the, the all ages market. And also there's an interview on YouTube of uh, Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill on the set of go for it on uh, entertainment tonight. And I think uh, they were talking about how they don't like their movies to be too violent. And Bud Spencer says, and so like, uh, yes, we don't, we don't like too too much violence or something like that. And, is that like, the uh, like Miami one? Yeah, 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 the Miami one. One of yeah. many Miami ones they made. But that one, it's funny, they acted like that was made specifically for the American market. And if you've seen it, there's no way in hell they had the American market in mind for it because it's, you know, it's as Italian as any of them, really. Yeah. That one kind of blends a little bit with the odds and evens, I believe. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, odds and evens is the better film, I think. 
think that one's actually directed by Sergio Corbucci, and that's actually one of their best comedies. Yeah, I like that. That has the great gag where Terrence Hill is riding a horse. He's in a chase. He's so he's riding a horse away from the bad guys. He puts the horse in front of a parking meter and laces the horse to the meter. And then he starts running and then he comes back and he puts a quarter in the meter. It's like one of the best gags in all of their films. <laughs> There's plenty of them. Right now, for whatever reason, all these movies, uh, I think like three or four of them you can find on Amazon Prime right now as of recording. And then a lot of them have been picked up by Tubi. I'm not sure if you noticed that. but Yeah, yeah, I noticed a lot of stuff's going to Tubi, which that's what Prime has been doing is everything's been going to Freebie and Tubi. What's the deal with that? Like, how are the... Like, how are these companies just like, yeah, we're going to just pick up these movies this month? I, I don't get that. It's just well, random. well, for one thing, I can tell you one deal with it. I'm not I am not renewing my Amazon Prime in January. This is such shockwaves to the household for about 10 minutes when uh -oh. I announced it. Because I was like, well, if everything's on Freebie, which you can put on your Roku as a separate app and everything's on Tubi and just a few things are on Prime, why do I have Prime? Why do I pay for this? You know, it's, it's not worth it. It's expensive. You know, it, they raised the price over the years. And I remember when all these films were on Prime commercial free, like all the Terrence Hill, but Spencer movies. And it's like, if it was still like that, I would be cool with paying the full fee, but not anymore. And see, the thing is with Tubi and Freebie, um, <coughs> the distributors are paid by views so like they they monitor how many are watched and and so if you have a movie that's watched a hundred times the distributor gets paid for those hundred views if it's just watched five or six times which is rare um you know get the, they don't get much for it but it's it's you're paid based on the views. yeah which makes sense i just i'm surprised that they're we have all these movies coming on tubi from you know 70s 60s 70s 80s obscure italian stuff and yet they won't like they won't give us our physical media which physical media is unfortunately dying to some degree because it keeps getting more expensive yeah. to buy a freaking blu-ray every year like you know a few years ago it was 19.99 now it's 24.99 and then you know there's the odd one that's always like you know 30 bucks brand new like that's with like the retail cut on amazon or right whatever. right it's a boutique business it's become a boutique business is which problem. is unfortunate yeah, we're getting a lot of cool rare stuff we probably wouldn't get otherwise, but it's a boutique business. That's the problem. So why why haven't we gotten the Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill box set in America yet? I don't. I suspect maybe there is foolishly they perceive there's no market for this stuff. Traditionally, Italian action movies do not sell well on American home video, but these to me are their own thing, and they have a cult following. It's like I will some occasionally run into people. Boomers who saw them in theaters in the 70s. I will meet a lot of people online who are into them. Um, I was on the conservative art artist Sabo's uh, YouTube feed uh, when he was doing uh, his uh, live stream. And one of his uh, viewers uh, messaged in, yeah, I'm just watching Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer movies uh, on Amazon Prime or something. And I was like, wow, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. And then, um, but I, I know that they have a following. There's a lot of potential there. I know Don Mateo is actually one of the most, is probably the most popular show on MHZ. Like uh, they, What's MHZ, that? MHZ Choice is a streaming service that is devoted to foreign, Europe, mainly European television. And it's all in its original language and it's subtitled. And a lot that? of them are mystery shows. And Don Mateo, like, I think the first 13 seasons are on MHZ. How much is that a month? Just for, um, I think you can get it for like, 
five or six bucks a month. Like I got a okay. special deal this year to so I could watch the rest of Don Mateo. And um and they also have like the French Fantomas TV shows from the seventies. So there's a lot of interesting stuff on there. So I'd say it's uh I got it for a deal that's like maybe five ninety nine a month. And that's worth it. Like the streaming quality is great. The, the a lot of unique offerings and it's good for a year. I'll watch all I need and uh, stay away from it for five or six years. You know, <laughs> seems to be how it's working these days with streaming. Yeah. The streaming. I, I, I'm just saying there's probably, they don't perceive a big market and uh, yeah, the European stuff just doesn't sell. It doesn't sell as good as you'd think. Yeah. Why? Uh, yeah. Streaming is just getting, it's becoming like cable in the, two, in like 2005, it's getting out of yeah. hand to, to be a subscribe to every single service. It makes sense that, you know, if the European stuff, the physical media doesn't sell, then fine. We're not going to like distribute it, but then we're getting all these Hong Kong releases. Just we're getting flooded within the last three or four years. They sell, they sell like you wouldn't believe. And I, I think we, well, when I say we, my listeners who, I don't think a lot of them are Hong Kong fanatics, but they would be surprised at who's buying these. Cause I, I think, I think, you know, who buys them. There's a lot of just demographics that you wouldn't think like, there's a lot of 40 and 50 year old, like just, I think black guys who just like, collect this shit yeah. and they just, they love it. Yeah. From his, from cool their movies. Yeah. They buy yeah. <laughs> but also I've noticed young kids are getting into these or, or younger viewers, like in their twenties, uh, yeah, they're discovering so. the Shaw Brothers films through Blu-ray. And then they'll watch the Bruce Lee movies and they'll go like, why is Bruce Lee such a big deal? These Shaw movies are so much better. Like, and I always said, if people honestly looked at them, you know, um, what, what would be the word objectively or whatever, and yep. or subjective, you know, like with an open mind, if you watch these movies with an open mind, you'll know what's better. You know, don't ignore what people have told you. Like all these people are told these Bruce Lee movies are masterpieces. Boy, they don't hold up very well, you know, and I can even say that now. It's like because it's like I never thought they were that great. It's just like everybody liked his presence. The Shaw Brothers films are so much better. And I for years, the Shaw films were hard to find. And I would tell people, I said, look, if these Shaw movies were available, you wouldn't be raving over the junk you rave over. It's like because you'd see where it was done better. It's a scarcity thing, I think. Like it's not available. Yeah. So we're just going to like what we like because we, we have it. Right, right. And who needs those old, you know, because they they maybe saw them cut up on TV years before and terrible television prints. I mean, yep. I'm amazed I sat through those things. They were so bad looking. But, you know, there was something about the films that, that kept me glued to them. So it was and now you get them in Blu-ray and they're selling like hotcakes like they they sell fast. Yeah, I'm told good. like they actually told me at a store uh, owned by one of these boutique labels. I'm not going to name them. Uh, but they actually admitted to me, they said the martial arts, they said the martial arts shit is all that really sells. Like it outsells the horror, it outsells everything. So maybe there's a new fanaticism for this stuff now. Good. And that maybe that means the, uh, the, uh, historical, I guess the, the whitewashing will end and we'll actually get all the real stories for all this stuff. Cause right now, just a lot of the stuff that you hear or read on the internet is just, I, I read it and I'm like, that eh, sounds like bullshit. <laughs> It is. It, believe me, 90% of what you hear about these films on the internet is baloney. It's crap. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's one thing I don't like about the releases is, is the special features. You'll have these guys on there and they'll have a couple good things they say and then they'll just like go into some personal story that it's like, oh, this is what it means to me. And I'm like, you're supposed to be an expert. <laughs> you're supposed to be an expert of the film. 
I don't want your experience <laughs> from when you were 10. I, I want to know why, you know, this actor, why it's significant this actor's in it or why the, why it's significant the director made this decision with whatever they were doing. But that's not what they usually bring to the table. Yeah, I um, uh, my friend Brian Banks said does some of those commentaries on the shout sets. And I know he researches like a devil. Yeah, the, I haven't listened to those yet, so I'm I'm not gonna name the names of who. Yeah, I'm yeah, no, I can I can just say, and I haven't even listened to Brian's commentary yet, but I know that Brian Brian bought a huge collection of Hong Kong movie magazines uh, and got a lot of them translated. Like he actually paid somebody to translate articles for him, so he's getting as much of the real, and he's talked to some of the actors and directors, and he's interviewed them. And so he's getting the real stories, you know, it's not just this simple, oh, Chang Che was secretly gay, and this is all a bunch of gay metaphors and all that stuff. It's not that type of lazy. Oh, they have their shirts actually. Off. There's, there's two guys on screen, they must be gay. <laughs> yeah, they must be gay. They really respect each other. This is really about homosexuality. You know? Yeah. The movie's about uh, sodomy. Top Gun and volleyball scenes, super gay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like men are not supposed to get along. You're supposed to yeah. punch each other in the stomach and walk away. And that was the other thing. I just, for whatever reason, that made me uh, think of this. Um, we brought, we were talking about Japanese movies briefly and the sumo wrestler. Yeah. Couldn't find who the guy was, but the other lady who was supposed to be a Japanese lady, who's played by a Hong Kong actress, uh, Nancy sit, who I, I believe, you know, is fairly famous, right? Uh, yeah. It's, it's a familiar name. Yeah, well, she's the she's the actress in I believe she's in Lady Whirlwind. Uh, you, okay, you, you know her because she has this huge mole in the middle of her forehead, right? And it, it seems like it's only gotten bigger with age, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which they'll make a big deal out of in movies. They'll actually highlight it. That's what they well, do, especially well, when, they, when they're talking. They point to themselves when they talk. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, one of the tropes in all these movies is they put these fake moles on these like guys and put weird voices on their, you know, the dub and yeah, yeah it's it's fine. But uh, she plays in the movie in in Flatfoot in Hong Kong. She plays this Japanese uh, lady who dies very quickly. And do you think that they just pulled her into this movie um, for the Hong Kong audience to put her on the poster or put her name on the poster or something? It's, it's very possible. She was a big enough star in Hong Kong. That would have been a thing. It's also would have been like, a, cause I think Bud Spencer was very popular in Hong Kong. So they'd be like, you know, um, those actors wanted to be in a Bud Spencer movie or so they worked with Bud Spencer or something like that. Uh, but it was to give it probably a little bit of local flavor. Um, and I mean, obviously the Italians didn't care if she was Japanese or Chinese for that role. So no, <laughs> and a sumo wrestler in the middle of Hong Kong for no reason whatsoever. Other than the face off with Bud, but uh, but yeah, that's that's probably what the deal was. And also, um, some of the actors they choose is because they could work with foreign crews. I think like they they might speak English or they might know a little Italian. Or in Nancy's case, she could probably speak some English and communicate with some of the people who worked on the film. So. You know, it's there's various reasons, but it's like that's that would be my guess. That makes sense. And also, yeah, you put her name on the poster and the local Hong Kong people might think it was a co-production. And they said, oh, we got to work with the great Bud Spencer. Our people worked with him. So, like like Chaplin Chang is in this film. Chaplin Chang had like some sort of deal with the devil where he's in every foreign production made in Hong Kong. I mean, he must have spoken really good English, which. I mean, it makes sense. He does. He, he speaks it fluently or he spoke it fluently. And um, he also could work as a line producer and give them all the contacts they needed in Hong Kong to get the movie made. Yeah. 
like he would have made the phone calls to get them a spot at Shaw Brothers Studio to film in the, the sets and get the stuntmen and all that all that because he worked on Enter the Dragon. Um, I think he worked on uh a, like a dozen other films just as a line producer. Didn't even have an on screen role. That's who you know. So yeah, he's obviously in a, that town. Definitely. I have a a clip that I want us to listen to because I okay. I, I think you you would know. Um, but the the music in this movie is from the uh, De Angelis Brothers, also known as Oliver on- Onions. I believe you're a fan. Uh, also known movie. as the Oceans, also known as about four other names in the true Frankie Farian, Boney M, Millie Vanilli style. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're geniuses they, they got a new album out a couple of years ago yeah I, I i think in august i streamed uh i have spotify and i listened to it to it either it or another recent one of theirs actually a lot for like two weeks and they're still making great music in their 80s which is impressive and david hasselhoff actually sang on a track yeah and they're so they're basically as prolific as like morricone was i guess in, in oh yeah the, Pro- in probably Italian more so because they're also involved in production in the movie production yeah so they do the um score for this movie and i really want you to see if you know what this is they're stealing it i think they're stealing it from something very well known and it's just either eluding me or i can't think of the reference but uh let me share this maybe that's not the best one there was another clip from actually the thailand uh location which i can probably find pretty quickly that has a a slower rendition of it with those same kind of chords and i was just like this is so familiar maybe it's just me being crazy i'm not sure if that's like from the kung fu tv show or what that is the kind that set fire there see i have to thank you captain if you had turned me in, you would have caused the end of quite a brilliant career. Not sure if that helped or that just uh, was fruitless or what, but. Hmm. I think to me, it, it always sounds like they're inspired by like, um, like Giorgio Moroder type Italo disco stuff from that era. Okay. And he has a song that's like called Kung Fu or something that was sort of like a cash in, like kind of like Kung Fu fighting. Okay. And um it may have been inspired by that. It kind of reminds me of that. But um but it has those kind of you know, well, we can't call it these days, but we used to call it oriental beats or whatever yeah. that are kind of very typical. I think they uh, come from opera music. You can say it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's a pretty it's a pretty good soundtrack score, but yeah, these guys can be thieves because there's a there's a track in um one of their one of their Miami productions that's basically the music from Donkey Kong and they just outright stole it. Well, the Italians were stealing a lot of stuff. Yeah, it was actually the theme of Donkey Kong and they just played it on a Casio keyboard and that was that scored the scene. Just like Hong Kong. There are some Hong Kong movies where I'll like I'll just hear like the the guitar from like the 007 theme. I'm like, what the oh yeah. And actually uh I just what was I? I think it was the Cheng Pei Pei's the Jade Raksha movie from the mm-hmm. 60s i think chang che directed it but there was a excerpt from it that was a direct copy of the score from the big country uh the western it was the score all they would do is buy the records and just put them in the film yeah i was like whoa like it just blew me away that that was there like today uh, a friend of mine in england said he was watching the sons of katie elder 
and he recognized it as the soundtrack for Warriors 2, the Selma Hung film. Now, now I got a, I don't own the, the Sons of Katie Elder, but I'm sure it's like on Tubi or, or Amazon Prime or something. But I got to compare that because that's that's amazing. It's an Elmer Bernstein score and it's right there. And, you know, it's just um, they in Hong Kong, they were if it said composed by Frankie Chan or whatever music supervision, it just meant they basically did crate digging like a DJ and they would just find it was um, some DJ friends of mine compare it to like it was almost like they were the first samplers, like the first hip hop samplers in a way, because it was almost like a you're listening to like a like a DJ mix when you're you're watching a Hong Kong movie and you hear the soundtrack and it's like, oh, wow, that's from uh, Juliet Diablo. Oh, wow, that's from The Big Country. Oh, that's from Sons of Katie Elder. It's almost like they're doing a mixtape of Western soundtracks to create a new Kung Fu movie soundtrack. Now, are, are they just stealing from stuff they like or they're just stealing from what's available? They uh, steal probably both. Okay. And um, now in the Shaw Brothers case, they stopped doing the kind of hodgepodge theft uh, around like 73 or 74, they made a deal with DeWolf Library and uh, started actually, that's when they started using all those tunes that everybody knows. They'll say, oh, that's Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It's like, well, no, they were just both licensing the DeWolf Library, which basically was British uh, musicians basically doing music to be done as library tracks for film and TV. So you can, um, you'll see a scene of Lole fighting Gordon Liu you might actually hear that music watching an episode of the Sweeney from British television and during a car chase. That's like the stuff just pops up in the weirdest places. It's, it's yeah. It's fascinating how that behind the scenes production stuff works out where <clears throat> today they'd be like, all right, we got to We got to pay that artist $50,000 for the song or whatever, you know, right back in the old days, it was like the, the wild wild west. They could do whatever they wanted and kind of get away with it more or less yeah i was stunned when i watched um an old film i think it was a uh, strawberry film called the lizard i think from 72 or 73 and um they they stole like uh, the guitar the weird guitar riff from alice cooper's halo of flies <laughs> so it's just like jeez that's it's getting obscure here yeah that is obscure because i don't even know that song. i mean i know alice cooper but i don't know that song right and then like master of the flying guillotine um that they, they had like music from Neu and can and, and all these german uh krautrock groups <laughs> just like whoa <laughs> what were these guys into <laughs> yeah i mean it makes for an interesting uh definitely an interesting scene yeah do you have anything else to say specifically about flatfoot in hong kong uh i think it's really cool you get to see bud spencer swim yeah, I, uh I, I had a note for that and forgot about it, but yeah. Right, because he was a swimming champ in his youth, so you actually get to see him swimming. Yeah, he was an Olympic Olympian, right? I believe so, yeah. Oh, yeah, Italian Olympian. Um, yeah, he, he swims, and I actually, since we brought up James Bond, I think multiple times, that whole underwater scene just like called back Thunderball for me. I'm like, this is definitely, maybe not inspired, but it just it, to me, it just was a, con a you know connection in my brain. Right. But you know, he's fighting these guys and like bonking them on the head in the, in the water, and then he goes underwater <laughs> and his like his gut comes out. I'm like, it's a, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, one really cool thing um, in the finale is, uh, and it's also in some of the other uh, brawl sequences in the film. But in the finale in Italy, um, there's something cool they achieve uh, that you only would see in. Uh, Shaw Brothers films and occasionally in something like a Bud Spencer Terrence Hill movie is uh, you have fights 
going on all through all over the wide the scope frame. Like there's a fight over here, there's a fight over there, there's stuntmen doing fights over here, they're over here. And you only like there's action in the foreground and the background. And that's really unique to Hong Kong cinema, particularly Shaw Brothers films. And uh, it's very unique to like Terrence Hill Bud Spencer movies, which is one probably one reason I, I dig I dig both is like I like my action in the foreground and the background. Because if you watch something like let's say you watch an American production like American Ninja, the fights are all foreground. Everything's foreground. Nothing's going on in the background. It's all in the forefront. You know, it's that that's the way they design the choreography. That's the way your eye works. But when you're watching like the Shaw films or the Spud Spencer movie, like Flatfoot in Hong Kong, your eyes are kind of going everywhere trying yep. to look at all the action going on. It's kind of it's kind of a trip, and you only get that effect in this type of cinema. You don't see anything like it today. Yeah, no, that that effect in the Shaw Brothers movies you're talking about like makes me always have to like either rewatch the freaking fight scene, which I don't mind doing. And just like, all yeah. right, I'm looking at the right side of the screen. I'm looking at the left side of the screen. Because, <laughs> you know, you see all these guys and you recognize their faces and you're, you can't pay attention. I mean, it's crazy how intricate. I mean, it's just the difference in the in choreography between the Eastern styles of filming and, and the American and the European is just like, it's night and day. And these these guys, those guys were so talented and they don't get the credit they deserve, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. They And m- most people don't pick up on that. It's kind of just something that the 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 fan has to pick up on or the 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 uh the viewer who's really hooked on these or really loves them picks up on like that you can break it down and identify it that's when you're like okay this is why these things are rewatched so much this is why they're selling so well because they have a the hong kong kung fu flicks have like a rewatchability that i i don't find in a lot of other movies very true like i watched wheels on meals with my kid uh a week ago introducing him to the movie and i after we were done i was like I can watch this again next week, you know, and I, I can't say that about a lot of movies. It's like, or a lot of stuff I see these days. And I find as I get older, I'm devoting more of my viewing time to watching my old Hong Kong favorites or trying to discover new old Hong Kong movies yeah. I haven't seen. So it's like, and, and I suspect this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest. Cause I don't like a lot of new stuff at all. And, um, and also fifties Westerns, you know, whenever stars gets a slot, an onslaught of 1950s westerns. I go crazy. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I've seen this with Audie Murphy. I haven't seen this. You know, it's like that's the only stuff that excites me these days. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I I, I probably see like five new movies a year, and they're extremely curated. And I'm extremely picky. Like they tried, someone tried to get me. One of my friends, one of my best friends, tried to get me to go to Napoleon. I'm like, I don't need to sit through another three hour Ridley Scott movie. I'm sorry. I'm no, doing no, I'm, I'm done with that guy. Yeah. I was done with that guy after Alien. Yeah. <laughs> Alien's his last good movie, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I like I mean, the duelist I, and I like Alien. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I, I have a soft spot because I Gladiator is one of those movies I watched like when I was seven when I shouldn't have been watching it. But right, right, when you were a kid. So. Yeah, but now it's like I don't need to watch the the last duel or whatever. And I don't, I don't need really Scott telling me about fem, feminism. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm I'm good. Yeah, and then you know, making some Making some, uh, you know, King of Belgium like uh, black or something, just because uh, that's what his investors wanted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of, I've, uh, really I've heard not. he's got like black guys fighting in Napoleon's army who were never there. So, uh, wouldn't surprise me. And speaking of <laughs> of Ridley Scott, I saw that Hunter posted something on the internet the other day. I was because I follow him on Instagram, and it was like Ridley Scott called a twenty four films a twenty three or something. I'm like, that's amazing. <laughs> he was like in an interview plugging a 23 and i'm like 
He's such a hack, man. Like, gosh, it just pisses me off. Isn't he like 90? <laughs> just like- uh, he's, yeah, 86, 85, 86, 87, somewhere in there. He's close. It's funny because it was uh, Run Run Shaw that wrote the check for Blade Runner. That's how he got to make the film. He went to Run Run Shaw, told him his idea, and Shaw was like, how much money do you need? Yeah, because what that was what 1980 81 80 1980 they were like that was right when they were in there the shell brothers were in their uh peak probably performance uh box office wise before they went out of business but yeah and and uh run run had just lost money on meteor or maybe it was right before he lost money on meteor the sean connery disaster film Uh so maybe he was feeling generous and he probably wanted to be involved with something of quality and ridley scott was definitely better than writing a check for an AIP film, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For I me, mean, Flatfoot in Hong Kong, I think is it's slightly worse than the uh, first entry in the series, but I still just that first intro into Hong Kong. It's like, it's almost like an identical shortened version of the intro to the man from Hong Kong, where they're showing you all these helicopter shots of um, the city, you know, Kowloon city and all that. Uh, it, it's yeah. just great and i love that and I, I kind of explained it we we just released an episode i think actually our two well this episode is releasing in 2024 we're really, we're really um recording in, in uh, december 2023 but we just released an episode in in earlier this month double impact i'm sure you've seen that uh john claude oh yeah Dan. so yeah. it took a date to see that <laughs> yeah oh perfect you know i was i didn't marry her <laughs> yeah <laughs> she liked the movie more than you probably <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was explaining in that in that episode how I just had this this childhood memory of that movie and seeing Hong Kong for the first time. And every time another movie does that similar, like, oh, we're in Hong Kong now. We're going to show you all this, you know, the skyline and the landscape. It's just like I, I love that uh, for whatever reason. I just can't get out of my you know core memories or whatever the kids are saying these days. Well, it's a very it's a very photogenic cinematic city. Yes, I mean that's one of the advantages all the movies from the 80s and 90s once they start getting away from kung fu and going towards the um bullet ballets or whatever they want to call them that's right. that's the one thing that heroic le- bloodshed sir <laughs> yeah whatever whatever the fuck <laughs> that's what the brits call them <laughs> yeah uh well then they're definitely wrong uh, <laughs> um but yeah that part of the movie is like already it's grabbing my attention just from that but does that right. make it a good movie? No, um, but I'll give it a chance if it's if it's filmed in Hong Kong for whatever reason. Right, right. But yeah, the the Flatfoot movie, the the second one, the one that we we watched for this episode. The, I think the biggest problem with it is like they spend way too much time in the beginning in in Naples. Like it's like forty five minutes. Yes, yeah. I'm like that stuff is is fairly dull and and doesn't have much. Narrative it's it's drive. the same exact. They're re, they're do, redoing the previous movie over again. Like. Yeah, as if nobody saw the previous film. Yeah, which I was actually going to tell my friends, um, my co-host, that, hey, if you want to watch this movie, I'll give you my copy and just literally don't even have to watch the first one. Just watch the, watch the second one and you're good. Like, because uh, it's the same thing. I mean, even they, they even mentioned the same drug lord from the first one. I think they his goons come back and they have a fist fight with uh, Al Lettieri's character. Like they had, the, it's the same thing over again. So whatever. But yeah it was and then it's just too long it's like a two-hour movie it it doesn't need to be two hours 
And right. uh, I'm kind of the king on this on, on this show. I'm kind of the king of complaining about runtime because I'm like, I, I don't want to watch a two hour and 15 minute movie. That could be 90 minutes. It was probably 90 minutes in a lot of territories. Oh, yeah, they cut it down. Yeah, a lot of these films would get cut for time and pacing, depending on what country they played. Yeah. And um, I I think my issue with it is um, it was before Ed Mannix became Bud Spencer's regular dub voice. And Ed Mannix was such a good match for Bud Spencer's uh, as as his voice that you would almost swear it was that was his real voice. And I think at everybody they think Bud Spencer talks like that. Yeah, and he couldn't he couldn't speak English at smooth. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, Ed Mannix is just like the perfect Bud Spencer voice. And had he dubbed his voice in this, I think it a lot of the jokes would have been carried over better because Ed Ed was great with um you know with the wisecracks and his timing, his comedy timing and dubbing something that most people don't even realize exists. It's like it was just perfect. It was a perfect reaction for everything. Like if you watch Banana Joe, if you go and watch Banana Joe, Ed Mannix dubs him in that, and it's like there's stuff that's funny that shouldn't be funny, you know. It's just it's it's just that type of effect with the dubbing. He has an iconic voice, but I guess I I'm just I haven't seen their movies over and over again. I've only seen maybe ten or fifteen movies with Bud Spencer, and all of them I think I've seen once except for two. Um, yeah, I had to play them back you know back to back and be like all right the voice is different because it was it, it was a guy with a deep voice but it's just it wasn't as you said yeah he's he man. sounds like he sounds probably too new york for the flatfoot character in this film because they wanted him to sound like he was an italian speaking broken english yeah. for some reason because when ed does the voice he does it like a telly savalas new york kind of voice and it just you know later on it just fit bud perfectly i think that's why they always brought him in to do his voice whenever they could uh, I do want to ask you, uh, what's the best, in your opinion, what's the best Bud Spencer solo film? Oh, boy. Um, geez. Because I like Bomber quite a bit. Okay. Uh, I like Bomber, and um, and I really like Banana Joe. Banana Joe is, like, the funniest. Bomber is probably uh, one of the best, like, just straightforward films. I recently watched a disappointing one called Buddy Goes West. Yeah, I, I have which, that on my watch list, and I actually have a copy of it. And it's <laughs> it's got like a thirty or forty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm like, that's pretty bad, or whatever. It's very cringe. It's not. It's not quite up to snuff. It's disappointing because it has a Morricone score, is and it, it's in. Is it just like scope. an old person rehash of like their Trinity films? It's not even like a Trinity movie. It's weird. Oh. It's like it's almost like there's a role in the film that this French guy plays and he's not very funny but he's a comedy star in france and you got the feeling okay if that were terrence hill it would be a much better movie yeah wow. but the guy doesn't have any real chemistry with him and it just doesn't move well it doesn't really doesn't rock doesn't roll you know um it's like that's a, sometimes a problem with the movies where they didn't exactly you know you got this big lead who moves like a tank you gotta kind of pace the films a certain way you got to keep the jokes coming. You got to keep the action coming. You can't have it, you know, you you can't have the pace drag a bit, like kind of like Flatfoot in Hong Kong did, like the pace started to drag. But whenever he's swinging his fist, it's great, you know. Yeah. But um, it's something, something didn't quite work with it. It's like I watched um, Blackie the Pirate. I got a great Blu-ray of that. And I'd wanted to see it for years. Every copy had been out there, had been terrible. 
And it's like Terrence Hill playing a pirate. This has got to be a blast. And Bud Spencer cameos in it. It's terrible. It's a bad movie. And it's because it was made right before they released um, They Call Me Trinity. So they had not quite figured out how Terrence Hill needed to be on screen. Because if you had Terrence Hill being the kind of trickster hero character that he plays in the Trinity movies, in a pirate film, it would have worked. But instead, they have him as just kind of this, I don't know, I guess maybe it's the way he is in Man of the East or something, or whatever that film is. Um, He just doesn't have much of a personality. He's not doing any real comedy. You know, he's just getting by on his looks and his athleticism. It's not enough. But uh, had they made it, say, after the second or third Bud Spencer team up that was a comedy, um, I think it would have been like a way better film they would have actually known what type of humor to put in there i think the production value of that movie was also kind of not good oh blackie the pirate yeah, yeah it, it, it was, was a lot not, of stock footage yeah you think that like italian pirate films the set would be like better but it must have just been like a cheap budget or something yeah it's like i don't think they knew how big he was going to blow up as a comedy star or an action comedy star yeah i have a bunch of the bud spencer cameo is just a throwaway they're not even funny you know it's just, he's just kind of there it's like it's like a follow-up. Like they were trying to make them the way they were in the cat and dog movies, which are not quite up to snuff to compared to how they were in the Trinity films. And so then, I guess the other question I have before we rate uh, the film would be, what's your favorite Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer movie? I really love Watch Out, We're Mad. I've seen it countless times. Um, I also love I'm for the Hippopotamus, but one of those two. And I love Odds and Evens. I just like, wow. It's like they're just nonstop fun. Watch out or match the one with the dune buggy, right? Yes. Okay. My son, I gave him uh, for his birthday. I gave him a uh, uh, dune buggy t-shirt based on the movie with a Bud Spencer uh, characterization on the t-shirt and everything. So he wears it all the time. So. That movie also has the great Oliver Onion score. <laughs> yes, which I I got a friend got me the soundtrack they released in Italy last year. And it's the real soundtrack. It's not re-recordings like on a lot of the DeAngelis compilations. It's the actual authentic soundtrack. It's terrific. And it's, C- it's the CD, right? Yeah, yeah, CD. Yeah, not the uh, record. Please, I don't do vinyl. <laughs> I don't do that. I, I I hated that format when I was a kid. Man, it was a pain in the ass. Yeah, I have um, probably 100 or 150 vinyls from like my parents. And I'm like, these just take up too much room. I, I, you know, they just... Oh, wait till you have to move. And you have to move them. That's the real fun. Yeah. It's like moving concrete blocks. Oh, it's the worst. So what would you rate rate this uh this entry, the second entry in the uh Flatfoot series? What's your uh rating system here? Uh just one through ten. One through ten, I give it like a six. Yep. That's where I'm at with it. Which I gave the first one a six as well, but I think that one would go up. Uh, I think it flows a little bit better. Uh, right what do you think of the um the africa and the egypt entries are they worthwhile seeing i haven't watched them in years i don't remember being blown away by them it seems like they had pacing issues but i'd have to look at them now to give you a real honest opinion i i i had some bootleg copies about 10 years ago and they're not always the most fun to watch especially on our new uh you know awesome hd tvs so uh, I just, I'm sure there's better copies out there now, probably even on YouTube. So I'm going to take a look at them and watch them again. You know, yeah, kind of a regular thing. I, I, just to have a final opinion on them, I believe. 
Yeah, I'm gonna check them but, out just for completionism sake, because uh, I like the, right. I like these guys, but yeah, and I like Bud. You know, it's respect for Bud. That's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna watch them, and it's one of these things where it's like I kind of want to watch movies now first if I can without buying them because I don't want to spend twenty bucks on something that's just gonna sit on the shelf and not get watched again. Yeah, because I got a lot of those. Thanks, Kino Lorber, but um, <laughs> I have a lot on sale? of those that I'm not, not so sure I should keep, be keeping. You yeah. didn't get the Kino Lorber's on sale for like nine ninety nine. I've been ignoring that sale because I was going through, and uh, I realized I have so many unwatched Kino Lorber's. I have like a whole shelf of them, like Fast Charlie and the Moonbeam Rider. Thought I was gonna watch that like right away. Nope. Yeah, I don't have that. I, I usually am pretty good about the Kino Lorbers. I, as we just talked about on our Frankenheimer episode, um, I have like the Iceman cometh with Lee Marvin, and I didn't realize it's a four-hour mm-hmm. stage play rendition. And I'm like, fuck, I don't want, I don't want to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> like, like next time, it's just like, all right, just look at the runtime before you buy it, because if it's a two and a half hour or more movie, I'm probably just not going to watch it unless I'm really bored for some reason. Well, I got the the one I'm gonna watch next is uh and soon the darkness, the Brian Clemens thriller that he wrote, uh that stars Pamela Franklin and I forget who else, but it's like a you know it's one of those European thrillers where two girls are being stalked by a mad killer and it's it's got a Brian Clemens uh commentary I believe so that that should be fun. Well, he'll sit there and talk about how much he was stealing from Hitchcock. Yeah, I mean, so that was um. You said you had, that's a Kino Lorber release as well. You said, yeah, they put it out. Um, I I think they ported the bonus features over from the British okay. edition or whatever. So, you know, it wasn't one of their, you know, it wasn't one of their countless new commentaries they have with, uh, you know, people I probably shouldn't name, but uh, I often wonder why they pick them to do these things. Yeah, I speaking of porting. Uh, special features i was watching shallon wooden men which i know that the mmc has covered uh, a long time ago i've listened to that episode like three or four times now i was watching that on the shout on the jackie chan shout box set volume one or two or whatever one it, it's blue and the blue and red ones i own uh there'll probably be a third one coming but i was watching yeah. that and then i watched the special feature and the guy who what was his name i forget doesn't matter but he's talking he's like oh yeah i'm really glad 88 films <laughs> released this and i'm like it's like, <laughs> I'm like oh so you guys just straight up bought the rights to be able to you know put this on disc okay but it was just yeah they just ported them over that's it, all made, it made me laugh which honestly if that's what needs to happen for us to get these releases that are region b and not have to invest in the region b I, if i release if i invest in region b i'm going to spend a lot more money and i don't want to spend <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, I'm already there. I had yeah. to invest in Region B, and just for Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer, actually, it's their fault. I blame them. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I had to get a Holy Hand Grenade Blu-ray player that plays everything. Yeah, you know, as long as you hit the right letter code in there. And, and uh, the funny thing is, the irony, it does not play VCDs from Hong Kong. Hmm. The late '90s little CD format that almost any cheap DVD player will play, but this. Holy hand grenade of a Blu-ray player does not like VCDs. So there you go. So you have a a VHS, a DVD player, the the Blu-ray player, the 4K player. (laughs) I don't have a 4K yet. I said when they put Opium and the Kung Fu Master out on 4K, then I'll invest in it. (laughs) I have to have a standard, you know. Yeah, I have the 4K thing, I think, is 
just another way to get more money out of people until because if the movie the same damn was, movies if it was on 35 millimeter and they're releasing it on 4k what's the difference between that and the, the 1080p version like it's not 70 millimeter then i don't care and i'm not what am i going to go do buy the 30 mo- movies that were filmed in 70 millimeter of their 4ks and have a yeah people are making a big deal about the um i guess toho released the godzilla movies um in japan only in japan on uhd and apparently it looks spectacular but I was like, but yeah, those are the the remasterings they wouldn't let Criterion use for their their Blu-ray box set. Yeah, they've had those masters for years, and it's like, had they put them out on Blu-ray ten years ago, you probably wouldn't even care. Well, I don't really know if I want a Godzilla movie where I can see like, oh, I can see the guys, I can see the stuntman's hair, <laughs> like under yeah, the, yeah, you under see the, the wires, mask. you see him sweating through the armpits there. Yeah, like yeah. we don't need that much detail. I w- I want to have a little bit of the illusion still. In, you know in the movie but yeah yeah it's that was a problem i had with some of the shaw films is uh when they run dvd the wires in the wig glue for the various facial hair and wig appliances it's way too obvious look you know it's this gum that they use to stick the sideburns on and stuff Uh, there was a big problem with that with um the recent blu-ray release of one of my favorite movies um Ivanhoe, which which has the same problem with um with Robert Taylor. He has these fake mustache on, and it's like the mustache looks smaller than the makeup that's sticking to his face. It's just funny, <laughs> like like whatever. It, you know, sometimes you don't want the best quality. Well, it's like how Cesar Romero's mustache looks on the old Batman TV show when you look at it on Blu-ray. Yeah, it looks like he's a freaky skin formation above his lip or something. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, well on that very weird note uh, we're, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll get out of here but yeah so john and i rated it a six out of ten john for your knowledge on our on our podcast we average the score together and then if it's over like a 5.56 it's a a recommend to check out so this is a, a recommend uh hopefully it's a gateway for some people uh but if if you can't get your hands on this and you're not going to go watch the youtube print which is easily you know, easy enough to get. Go watch another one on Tubi that with Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill. It doesn't need to be Bud Spencer by himself, but I mean, these movies are great. They're if you like the Three Stooges or anything like that, um, but you want, you know, maybe a, in color, you know, comedy, uh, not something from the forties, thirties, or forties. Then this is up your alley. It's got a. It's it's basically like you said earlier. It's basically a, a it's a full length cartoon with you know men beating each other up it's how yeah it's a certain flavor some people it's not for everybody like my wife would like roll her eyes if i tried to make her watch this but i don't know i love it oh my wife can't stand them yeah actually i had it i had it on i had one on uh it was actually watch out we're mad and my dad's like what is this and i'm like i explained it to him and he's like it sounds silly i'm like you literally love the three stooges like yeah exactly (laughs) what are you talking about it's the three stooges with like big time stunts and acrobatics yeah (laughs) and just like blowing up cars and punch you know punching so many people in the face or or slapping them or whatever it's i love it right Uh, it's the three stooges with a second unit stunt team yeah so So hopefully maybe if uh you had a decent enough time john we'll have you back on to maybe do a terrence hill solo movie in the future yeah yeah that'd be fun that's always fun and he's still alive at this point, so we don't want the John curse to come back. And uh, right, right, right. It would. I don't think anything's going to kill that guy. 
he's definitely he's i think he's like 81 or 82 he's definitely gonna be 90 year old maybe maybe he'll be yeah a, he, he's gonna make it a long time he's got good genetics cent, centenarian or whatever they call it 100 years old right right plus his hunter would say he's like catholic so he's like invincible yeah, <laughs> yeah italian catholic like he's the he's the original <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> all right john well I, I really appreciate you coming on all right yeah great to be here and uh anybody can check out the midnight movie cowboys if uh if you want yes hopefully you guys have a new episode coming soon or hopefully when this episode comes out in january 2024 you're you will already have dropped your most recent episode well i would like to tell citizens of the world in january 2024 the most recent episode was probably phantasm okay if it wasn't it was the david arquette wrestling comedy ready to rumble yes but hopefully it's phantasm and that was with did you have that episode with the watch this movie guys we had uh we had wolfie yeah Yeah. so i was on their show um and i've advertised it on this podcast before on the searchers so yeah go check that one out if it's the most recent if not check the midnight movie cowboys out you can hear more you know more of john talking about hong kong movies westerns and a bunch of other old 60s 70s movies i know that's kind of your guys thing but you you do a lot of different stuff yeah and we kill people apparently (laughs) well i think that's you personally john yeah, and also apparently people go to prison who've been on our show. So <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> uh, well, One of our guests just got sentenced to twenty six years in the federal pit. <laughs> oh gosh, I'll ask you who that is after the after this ends. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So on, on that note, we'll uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. listening to the searchers podcast if you want to hear more of our thoughts on movies you can find us on letterboxd ben at giant 13 chris at ziglet underscore mer and me at kevin chan find us on spotify and apple podcasts and on searchers film until next time people